Support for this show comes from Sylvan Learning. When children love learning, they can tackle any challenge life throws at them. Sylvan's insight assessment can help you determine if your child is ready for what's ahead. It can also identify gaps in learning and point out areas that could be of concern for your child so they can tackle what's to come. And right now, it's the best price of the year at $29. Go to sylvan29.com to learn more and get your child's assessment for only $29. That's S-Y-L-V-A-N-29.com. joined by my co-host today joey ikes and we are halfway through the the bye week uh not playing week seven watch some good football watch some some good things that kind of helped the cowboys out in the nfc standings um philadelphia came through one a tough one against miami that that stung a little bit but san francisco dropped another game and that always gives you some some good thoughts and feelings going into things um but we're here back for week eight we got a Cowboys Rams uh, matchup coming up here this weekend. Uh, Rams dropped a an ugly one this weekend, so they'll probably be looking to bounce back. A lot of things to talk about there, but uh, the theme of this show is going to be a second half adjustment um, show. We're each going to give three uh, adjustments that we're looking for for the second half of the season. I know the bye weeks in week seven, so it's not technically the halfway point, but for the this team, it's kind of the, the reset halfway point for them. We're going to get into that. We're each going to give three second half adjustments we're looking to see and then talk about this Rams matchup a little bit. But before we do, Joey, how you doing? I'm doing very well, my friend. It has um, it's been a bye week, you know, some good and some bad around the NFL. You always sort of watch this the you've scoreboard watch a little bit more during the bye week. Um, but it's uh it's a uh, we're going into the second half of a very you know almost confusing season at this point based on what the expectations were and where we thought this team was headed and then kind of how the first six games went. So we will uh we'll see how it goes. I'm I'm interested to get into this conversation with you for sure. Let's start with the the adjustment portion of the show we'll get into like i said we'll talk briefly on the rams uh match up here in a second but let, let's get into that a little bit um i'll let you start it off what's what's your first and this is no like there's no order this so you know there's no like from least to best or from from worst to best adjustment like we're just going to give three adjustments each that we think um we'd like to see this team make coming out of the bye week i'll let you start it off with your first one what's the what's the main one on the top of your your head right now they uh, they need to do a better job <laughs> attacking the intermediate and middle areas of the field in the passing game, um, and they uh, they have a the only way that I can really think of to say it is they have a really good tight end, and um, I think they need to use him in the middle of the field a little bit more than they have because the the intermediate areas of the field call it you know ten to twenty yards down the field. Um, they're just not 
they're not doing very much there. And when they go there, they're not doing very well. And, um, and so they, they, they've got to get better there. Um, Dak has a 53% completion rate, according to PFF, on targets between 10 and 19 yards down the field um, with no touchdowns and one interception. And um, he's got to they, – they have to be better in that area of the field. And that, to me, is – it's almost exclusively a scheme issue because they're just not layering things very well there and they're not – they're just not attacking in that area with – very much sophistication at all. Yeah, I like that one a lot. I mean, it's kind of been we, – we talked about it in the San Francisco matchup, but I thought – I was thinking about it yesterday. I almost texted you yesterday because everything we talked about, about how the Cowboys would attack the 49ers in our show, the 49ers game, the Kings did a really good job of. Um, and I always thought that was kind of funny because we kind of mentioned, like, hey, if they're going to do the old – slant flat thing a lot against San Francisco, Drake Greenlaw and Fred Warner just going to run to the boundary tackle guys for a two or three yard gain. And you're going to be behind the chains a whole lot. And the Vikings won that game by attacking that deep third and in deep portion of the field and attacking the corners. And they were able to win the game because they took advantage of the 49ers weaknesses, which is not what Dallas really did in their game plan against San Francisco. Um, yeah. Yeah. To, to expand a little bit more Dak in the, Intermediate areas of the field, so between 10 and 20 yards between the numbers. Right now he's 6 of 14 for 131 yards and one touchdown. That's a 47 passer rating. So not very good. The only place that he's worse from a passer rating standpoint, which is you know not a great stat, but it is what it is, is the deep middle, 20-plus yards down the field in the middle between the numbers. And that's because he's only got six targets, and one of them's an interception because of the throw to Brandon Cook, the kind of the YOLO ball to Brandon Cooks in the San Francisco game. So uh, there's nowhere else on the field he's targeted with any regularity that has had worse results than over the middle of the field between 10 and 20 yards. And it's it's just got to get better. To, to Last year, for example, in that same area of the field, he had a 92.5 interception – or. Uh, NFL passer rating in that same exact area of the field that he now has a 47 in. So it, it's not very good there, and it needs to be a lot better for sure. No doubt. And staying on that topic and something that might be able to help with that is my, my first adjustment that I want to see them make in the second half is to play Michael Gallup less and play Jalen Tolbert more. Um, now I'll, I'll say Jalen Tolbert and Kevontae Turpin because I think – some of what you're talking about, you know, the the lack of plays in the middle of the field and the lack of consistency in the middle of the field, I think some of that comes because the scheme first off, but then the second off is outside of CD and Jake Ferguson, they really don't have that middle of the field player. Um, we've seen Gallup really struggle with those inside breaking routes a lot. This, I mean, he struggled in a lot of areas, but Anytime he runs a slant, which, you know, or a post or something like that, he really just struggles to win off the line. He really struggles to win at the top of the route. There's just no suddenness about his game right now as a route runner that's allowing him to create any sort of separation or give any sort of easy targets and throws for Dak Prescott in the middle of the field. Um, ESPN Analytics dropped some some receiver metrics today, and Michael Gallup ranks 104th um, in their rankings. He has a 37 open score 
which is not good. He has a 36 catch score, which is not great. And then a 49 yard after catch score, which is not great. So he's ranking near the bottom of the league and pretty much all the metrics that are being tracked by ESPN analytics. This is like the third year in a row where he's ranked out very poorly in their metrics. Uh, last year, he was ranking pretty bad too with Noah Brown. Um, and now it's him and Cooks. And, and that might be a conversation we bring up at a later date. I don't think Brandon Cooks has completely lost his game. I think a lot of it's due to the scheme, but this is a consistent issue with Michael Gallup and the fact that he's playing as much as he is and still getting as many targets as he is, I think is something that they need to come out of this bye week and incorporate Jalen Tolbert, Kevante Turpin, Jake Ferguson. I mean, I hate to say it, but I'd even like to see like some targets to Luke Schoonmaker or something like that outside of Gallup right now, because everything that's going Gallup's way has kind of been a, a, pain in the ass, I guess, for lack of a better term. It's just been very difficult, very hard. He's had one good game this year, um, but we're going on year three now where the struggles have been greater than the the success. So I'm, uh, I hate to say it, but I think that the, the time is kind of running out on the Michael Gallup train. And I think that it's time to start seeing what you got in Jalen Tolbert, Kamate Turpin and some of these tight ends because I think that they can do more for you right now and I think it's going to be big to know how big of a hole you have at wide receiver going into 2024 um, with Brandon Cooks elected to hit free agency and more than likely you're going to be moving on from Michael Gallup so I think you need to know what you got in Tolbert Turpin and some of these young tight ends too and the, 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 the plays that they can make in the middle of the field. The Michael Gallup situation is tough because he was always sort of a high variance player because of the nature of a lot of his targets, you know, deep down the field, all that kind of stuff. But this year, like, so a, a good piece of, of context that I found today, I was looking through this stuff because I'm a big nerd and this is what I do, right? Um, PFF tracks contested catches and contested targets and things like that. So for most of his career, he has hung out around around or just north of 50% catch rate on contested targets, which is really good. If you think about the fact that, you know, that completion percentages around the league are somewhere in the neighborhood of 60 to 65%. If you assume contested catches are less likely to be caught than uncontested catches, being above 50% on catch rate on those is, is really good. Um, his catch rate on contested targets this year so far is 16.7. So he has two catches on 12 contested targets. And one of those targets turned into an interception. <laughs> so the thing that has been his, you know, superpower, so to speak, the way he has won has been go down the field, win the jump ball, make the contested catch. And in five opportunities like that down the field this year, he's caught one. And in five contested opportunities under 10 yards, he's also only caught one. So you just consistently are putting the ball in danger when you throw the ball right now. When you throw getting, it to, yeah, you're not getting any reward. Exactly, exactly. You know, he doesn't even reward you from a 
schematic standpoint where it's like, oh, we got to give help over there, you know, or <laughs> I mean, nobody's scared of Michael Gallup right now. And he's not even winning the way that he, the only way he's been able to win. And, and again, like, I'm not trying to kill the guy. Like, I, I think he's a good dude. He's, you know, been a, been a decent player for this team for a while, but them letting him, you know, him get 11, 12, 13 targets a game like he did in week six and continue to play, you know, not a hundred percent of the snaps, but damn near the second most receiving snaps on this team is just something they can't continue to do coming out of the bye week. Yeah. It's just, it's so inefficient right now to throw him the football that it's just really tough to justify continuing to do it. And, um, and like you said, Brandon Cooks hasn't necessarily blown the doors off of the, the city, you know, his catch rate isn't much higher than, uh, than Michael Gallup's is, et cetera. But it just feels a little different with him because it just feels like – well, I'll say it this way. My, this is a trend for Michael Gallup. This isn't a trend for Brandon Cooks. This is a show up and play in Mike McCarthy's offense, and now all of a sudden you can't – you know, you're not as good of a player as you were before. That That's what this feels like, whereas the Michael Gallup thing, this is now, you know, two separate offensive coordinators over the course of two and a half years where – Things just have not been what they're supposed to be. Yeah, no doubt. What's your second adjustment you'd like to see them make coming out of the bye week? Um, it's funny. I was talking to KD earlier, uh, KD Drummond, and um, we were joking about how it used to be, you know, the second quarterback on the team was everybody's favorite player. They always wanted to see the backup quarterback play because they always thought he could be better than the guy, right? The new version of that is the backup running back because every, you know, for years we heard Tony Pollard needs to get more carries. Tony Pollard needs to get more work, you know, et cetera, et cetera. And now Tony Pollard is getting the, you know, the lion's share of the offensive carries. And you're starting to hear some, hey, we should get Rico Dowdle some more work. And I don't disagree with it. There, there's just there's some inside running things that Tony Pollard has gotten much better at in 2023 than he was in 2020. That still he's still not going to be nearly as good as a running back that's a little bigger, a running back who's a a running back by trade, not a, a translation into a running back. Um, and he's – and it's more of like an eye test sort of, hey, the, the offense kind of feels a little different when you hand the ball to Rico Dowdle than it does when you hand it to Tony Pollard. Um, and I, I think it's just time to see that workload make a little bit of a shift. Basically, it's been – you know, Tony Pollard has a hundred carries. Rico Dowdle has nine, has thirty almost. I'm rounding up a little bit, but that's that's basically it. I think that's got to get closer to like, not quite fifty fifty, but pretty close to it. Um, just the offense just feels a little different with Rico Dowdle in the game, and um, and I, it's just something that I think will make the team better. 
Yeah, I, I don't disagree. And like I said, I don't know that it's solely – I don't disagree with you. Like I think that there's times you watch Dowdle run and he kind of has that like Isaiah Pacheco about him where it's like it's so violent and – I don't know, like it's it's there's just a there's a violence about his running style that just looks different when he runs the you ball. You can feel it, right? Like you can feel right. when he's running the ball. Even when you're watching it on TV, you can feel it. Yeah. And yeah. and doesn't that feel like something this offense needs right now? Yeah. Like this offense needs some edge. It needs some, you know, some a little bit of pissed offness. Like it needs some of that. And it doesn't feel like it has it whenever Tony Pollard's in the game. You know, Tony Pollard is making some big plays still, for sure. But he's not making he he doesn't make the tangible difference from a just like that that attitude, that feel that Rico Dowdle makes when he carries the ball. So r- running back twos are everybody's favorite player. So yeah. No, I, 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 and trust me, I've, I've often, you know, pray. I mean, and again, like, I don't think either one of us are trying to kill Pollard here. I think it's a, it's one of those things where you still want to use Pollard. You just want to introduce Dowdle's running style, maybe a little bit more than they currently are. Um, and that, that's not to say that we think Dowdle's a better running back than Tony Pollard. We just think that they could use a little change of pace. You know, I, I know Pollard's been called the change of pace back for so many years, but, Dowdle's change of pace is something that this team uh, could probably use a little bit right now. Um, And something that I think they could do that's my next thing that could help the running game is they are still ranked dead last in the NFL in motion percentages. Um, And I'll give, I'm not the one to credit, give Mike McCarthy credit or give him any sort of leash, but I'll give him a little bit of a leash here and say that maybe it's something they wanted to stay away from. Um, in the middle of the season or during, you know, when games are coming back to back weeks because of how maybe complicated it can be to incorporate that and trying to avoid the pre-snap penalties and illegal motion penalty penalties that we saw them uh, have last time they played against the Chargers um, and 49ers. But motion out of this bye week is something that we have to see them use more of. Um they didn't do it in Green Bay. It's something that Mike McCarthy has never done uh, as a play caller uh, or coordinator, play installer. Um, but it's something that all should, – I shouldn't say all because I think Philadelphia is near the bottom too. But most of your good offenses and all of your great offenses, the Dolphins, some of the 49ers, um, they're using motion. The Rams, they're using a ton of motion. Um it's just a way that you can make things stressful on the defense. You can open up holes without even having to block things up perfect by leveraging defenders pre and post snap. Um, and it's just an easy way to, I think, make your offense, I hate to use the word explosive, but it almost makes it feel more explosive. It makes it feel like there's easier plays to, to hit on when you have guys moving at or before the snap that opens up holes that wouldn't always be there if your guys were static and stationary, which is something I know we've talked about on this show, but it's just something that they had the bye week, you know, they gave their guys a week off and maybe they were able to install some things and get the things, you know, cleaned up a little bit to avoid those penalties pre-snap. 
um, or at the snap. But I think that coming out of this bye week, you've got to see some guys moving in motion uh, more on the running and the passing plays to uh, just help help create some more explosive plays for your offense and and make things a little bit more difficult on the defenses defending you. Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, if you look at the like you said, the best offenses in the league, you know, if you go by EPA per play, right? The Dolphins, the 49ers, the Bills, the Chiefs, the top four. I think of all of those as pretty – I use the word dynamic because it's, you know, there's a lot going – there's a lot of movement, a lot of things going on. Then there's the 49ers that do – or not the 49ers, excuse me, the Eagles that do a lot less of that. But – I think there's – it's funny because I like EPA for play a lot because of the way it, you know, incorporates a lot of different things down in distance and game situation and all that kind of stuff. Um, but I think for a team like Philadelphia that has like a 99% success rate on fourth and one and fourth and two, their EPA per play is going to be juiced to the gills because there's so much – there's so many points to be added every time you go for it, for, go for it on fourth down and get it that it all um, that almost makes up for what they don't do on a motion standpoint. And then you get to the chargers. Kellen Moore likes to move and shift. Sean McVay loves to move and shift uh, in LA for the Rams. Then you get to the Seahawks at number eight. That um, their offensive coordinator, I can't remember Shane Waldron, is from was with the Rams. That makes total sense. Then you have Detroit; they move guys around all over the place. Ben Johnson is, you know, number one on your head coaches you want to hire list in twenty twenty four. And and then Baltimore is number ten. They like to move guys around. There's a lot of good offenses, right? Right. That's your top ten EPA per play offenses. <laughs> The Cowboys are number 11 without any of that. They don't they're not extremely good on fourth down. They're not they don't move guys around a lot. Really what it is is that Dak Prescott's incredible on third down. And so they they wind up getting a lot of EPA on plays like that. And that's why he always ranks so good on those is because it's so important and he's so good at it. Um But yeah. Lots of really good offenses. And then you go, even you go next behind them. Green Bay, Matt LaFleur is a McVay guy. Bobby Slowick in, in uh, Houston, Shanahan guy. Um, you know, you get all the way down to the 14th offense in the league, and it's all guys who like to move them, move people around. And then it's the Eagles and the Cowboys. And the Eagles get all their stuff on fourth down from the sneaks and the quarterback runs. And the, uh, the Cowboys get it, you know, by Dak being really good on third down. And so all that to say, I agree with you a thousand percent. They've got, they have to create more. I was thinking about this today and talking with some guys about it. This team lines up statically and then doesn't run very many routes that cross the midpoint of the field. So one of my like core tenets of NFL offense is that on every single play there needs to be a route that crosses the you know the the meridian where the ball is on the field, um, on every pass play. And there's so many pass plays where the only thing close to that is a dude running right over the ball and sitting over the ball. Um, and so they don't do motion to stress defenses side to side. 
and they don't run a ton of crossing routes to stress defenses side to side. So these teams can just line up and set up in these combo coverages where they cover one side of the field one way, the other side of the field another way. We saw Arizona do it. We saw L.A. do it. And they just line up that way, and they can sort everything out really easy because nobody's nobody's crossing the field to change the picture, whether before the snap or post-snap. And so it just creates a really static, easy offense to defend theoretically until – you know, a guy like Dak Prescott makes a great play and C.D. Lamb catches the ball or Tony Pollard makes somebody miss and runs for 60 yards. Yep. All right, what's your third one? All right, my third one is back to the running game a little bit. I think they need to lean more heavily into the running game that they have used over the past few years than the running game they've tried to install this year. So basically, and we've seen Duke, uh, Duke Miniweather talk about it um, on Twitter a little bit. You know, Duke's very closely related to a lot of these uh, offensive linemen in Dallas. Um, they used to be a big inside-outside zone and duo team, and that was like the heart of their run game. And they had some pin-pull stuff and some change-ups and all that kind of stuff. And this year, they're, they have among the highest rates in the league in – running plays where somebody's pulling where, you know, Tyler Smith is pulling around or, you know, the center's pulling or somebody like Terrence Steele's coming through or something like that. Um, and they need to get back to just letting these guys line up and set the combo blocks and let the center and guards work together and let the tackles get in there and, and work with the tight ends. Cause the thing is like they have tight ends that are doing a really good job of blocking. They have five offensive linemen we know can do a really good job of run blocking, but for some reason they're not doing well blocking for the run right now. And only the only explanation based on that fact is that they're being asked to do things that are putting them in a, in a tough position. And one of the reasons why teams went away from the gap scheme runs, which are the, the runs where people are pulling all the time, is because – when you run a gap scheme run, it increases the likelihood that somebody's going to get in the backfield because you are, by nature, vacating a gap, leaving one side of the field to run to the other side of the field, and there's an extra – you now create a large gap there. We've seen Osa, like, fly through the backside, follow, got, follow pullers and make huge plays in the backfield. Um, when you run inside zone, that does not happen very often because nobody is vacating a gap. Every once in a while, somebody will lose – but you're not schematically putting guys in tough spots. And it feels like they're trying to do a little too much in the running game that's different than what they've had success with in the past. And um, it sure feels like only about 30% of the offense stayed the same versus 30% of it changing like they said it was going to happen. Yeah, no, I, I don't disagree. Like I said, I think the – honestly, I think that the that running game – I mean, I hate to say it's been the most disappointing, but I, I don't, I don't know. I, I think it has been. I think that the one thing that has been the most disappointing with this this team so far has just been the because that's one thing that we thought that they were going to do better with this this offensive line unit back together, and you know Tony Pollard getting more touches than Zeke, and you know there's so much talk about oh this this you know it's almost going to be an addition by subtraction thing, and that this offensive line was going to be healthy and playing together as a unit and. They'd be able to run the ball and 
you know, that would get these defenses out of some of these these, these two high safety looks, and then they could throw it over the top. And we haven't really seen any of that because the running game's not really gotten going, and they've been so conservative in the passing game that it's just been it's been a very bland offense that can't run the football at all. Um, so it's been a little frustrating. But um, my last adjustment that I would like to see them make coming out of the bye week. And this is kind of, I mean, I hate to be hot takey, but it's not, I, I don't mean to, I'm, I'm not trying to do that either. But um, we talked about last week how this team kind of pushes its chest out as a defensive first team and having this elite defense and the defense carry goes, the team goes as the defense goes. And we just, you know, we both said that that's not, they're not good enough. They haven't shown the ability to be good enough to do that. And, um, you know, they played well against the Chargers. Justin Herbert missed some throws. But the the thing that I would like to see them do, and it's probably not going to happen, but this is, what, you know, this is our opinions and what we'd like to see them do is I would like to see them go out and trade for a corner. Um, I'm not saying it's going to be Patrick Sertan, but a Jalen Johnson, uh, there's, there's a few corners on the market whose names have popped up as – as being potential um, trade candidates. Um, And I would like them to, I would like to see them go get a corner um, and get that defense back to what it could have been or would have been with Trayvon Diggs here. Um, And like I said, I don't think they're going to go out and get a Patrick Sertan. I don't think they're going to go get out and trade for, you know, whatever that huge big name highly paid corner is. Um, but I do think that there's some options out there for them um, to, to look into. And it doesn't, like I said, it doesn't have to be, it doesn't have to be the Pats or Tan. I know that's the name that everybody has reached out and said, Oh, you know, that's what they need. But for me, I think that if they could just get an upgrade there, play and bland's been fine. Um, Lewis has been up and down, um, but I think if they could go get another guy that can play on the outside and they can have Gilmore and whoever that is on the outside with Bland and Lewis splitting reps inside and Bland maybe moving around and doing some outside-inside stuff, um, for one, I think that'd get some of these safeties off the field who have not been good. Um, Jaron Curse is a guy who I'm starting to want to see play less, and I think that if you only have the four corners that have been playing – and that's, you know, hoping that all those guys stay healthy and continue to play at a high level. We've seen Gilmore have a little bit of up and down uh, to his game here recently. I just I think getting another guy in that room that can let you kind of play the defense that I think you were anticipating playing with Trayvon Diggs and Stephon Gilmore and Deron Bland would let me feel a lot more comfortable about this defense being that, you know, defensive first team um, and being able to generate turnovers and play at the level that I think they think that this defense can play at. But I just don't know down the stretch against some of these good teams, these good passing offenses, if they're going to be able to hold up if they're not rushing the passer and creating pressure like we've seen them do, but not week in and week out. Um, and like I said, I know that's a little more than just a slight adjustment that would take going out and spending some resources, but Stephon Gilmore, free agent next year. You know, Jordan Lewis, you can likely move on from. So if you do trade for a guy who's got a year or two left on his contract, he could he could come in with, with Trayvon Diggs and Deron Bland next year, and you still got your starting three trio and and not feel like you have a abundance of resources there. Um, and it's one of the most valuable positions in the NFL. So I'd like to see them do that. And 
maybe get back to playing, you know, at a level that we thought this defense was capable capable of after the first couple weeks of the season. Yeah, I definitely think that some personnel adjustment on the back end of the defense is is um no is noteworthy and and a good idea at this point in the season. You mentioned J. Ron Curse. <clears throat> I think Israel McQuamu needs to get some more run. I, you know, Wanye Thomas has played well when he's played. Like there are there are really good options in this team that you feel like you want to get to see, and they're not seeing them right now. And one of the ways to get those options is to you don't feel great about, you know, we haven't really seen very much, but you don't feel great about Noah Igbenogany going out there and playing. You don't feel great about Nishan Wright going out there and playing. Um, you don't feel great about Eric Scott going out there and playing. So you're really kind of kind of stuck playing the three guys that you've got at corner, and you can't really diversify, like, there's there's a little bit of a world where you can kind of diversify Jordan Lewis's role a little bit um, because he is a little bit of a physical player in the run game and and those sorts of things. And if you're able to add another corner, maybe that gives you a little bit more of a chess piece type defensive player um, if you if you wanted to use him that way. Um, but yeah, a, a corner. I say all the time, if you want to improve the middle part of the depth chart, improve the top. And uh, and so if you could add a, you know, a legitimate cornerback two to this team, um, then you now have essentially three guys playing at pretty good cornerback two level. And that's pretty dang good for a defensive secondary, um, whether whether you believe that it's capable, uh, it's possible for a defense to play consistently really well or not. I happen to believe that it's just not that NFL defense is too hard um, that you can, you just can't play great, great, great defense every single week for 17, 18 weeks. You just can't do it. And so asking your defense to do it is, is a fool's errand and trying to spend the resources to give them the ability to do it is, um, is maybe even worse. Yeah. Unfortunately, we have a stubborn head coach and a stubborn owner, and I feel like the only way you're going <laughs> to get the results we're looking for is to just hope your team's good enough to do it because I don't know if they're going to change their ways of thinking. <laughs> just lean into it and hope that they're uh, that they're wrong enough to be right for once. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, like I said, I, I don't disagree. I mean, we talked about it last week. Like, we think that the best, the best way to – have a good defense is to have a good offense. Um, and that's, I mean, like I said, like I, I guess I'm looking a lot at that 49ers game. You know, there's a lot, you know, they didn't get the pressure on Brock Purdy that they were hoping to. And there was just a lot of open receivers down the field. And, you know, you got Philadelphia that you're competing with. You're hoping you're going to see San Francisco again. And, you know, those teams got good offensive lines and good pass catchers and, you know, relatively good quarterbacks that can, you know, if they have time and, and time to sit back there in the pocket, the receivers are going to get open. And I don't know if I want to see number one and number two and 
<laughs> some of these other guys trying to cover him all or uh trying to cover him down the field. So we'll see. I mean, like I said, whether it's whether it's a trade to get a guy to play more of a more and maybe that's you know, we've talked about a little bit on the show, but like maybe it's just them playing more of a traditional front and traditional style defense on the back end and stop trying to do the you know four safeties on the field. Maybe that's what it is and just get these guys comfortable and playing more of your traditional style defense and they do a lot of mismatch fronts and a lot of mismatch guys on the back end. And I think sometimes that hurts more than it helps. And I know we've talked about that a few times too. Yeah, absolutely. There, there's, you know, we spent a lot of time talking about offense on the show uh, for good reason. Um, but there, there, there's some things that should happen on the defense too, that will, that could, could stem the tides a little bit, could, could ease the, ease the current a little bit and make things right a little smoother. Yeah, no doubt. All right, let's spend a couple minutes on this Rams game coming up. Um, we got, like I said, Rams coming off a ugly loss last week. Um, playing relatively good football leading up to last week's loss that, you know, I think a lot of people thought the Rams were, as we like to always kind of make fun of the people on Twitter, you know, the the Bills come and do, you know, it, the, they've spent all this money, they've traded all these picks, and now they're going to pay for it and be one of the league's worst teams. And that really hasn't been the case. Like I said, they dropped a game to the Steelers, but have played real, pretty pretty well with a roster that doesn't have a lot of depth to it, still has the big names, but doesn't have a lot of depth. And they're going to look to bounce back in week eight against the Cowboys. And I want to talk about that matchup for a little bit because I think it's going to, you know, I think going into this year, you're kind of rolling your eyes at that one and being like, oh, the Cowboys are going to smoke the Rams. But I think that with what McVay's doing with his offense, you know, it, it, it's it's still been a very successful offense for the Rams, even though they don't have the weapons or the protection up front. Uh, Cooper Cup's back and and doing some good things. Puka Nakua has been a very good uh, rookie player this year. Uh, probably, I mean, shoot, he's probably – I don't, I don't know if uh, I'd have to look at it from a wider point of view, but probably the leader for the offensive rookie of the year. Um, Tyron Williams has been pretty good. Obviously he's banged up on IR, so he will miss this game, but uh, some, some interesting, you know, matchups and weapons that the Cowboys will have to deal with this coming up week. Are there any that really stand out to you that you're looking to see how they do? I, th- I think for me, it's the Puka Nakua one. Like, I just don't know if they have a guy that really matches up well to cover him. And then obviously you got Cooper Cup to deal with too. Like what we were just talking about, I maybe want to trade for a corner and bulk up the the secondary. We'll, they'll get tested this week against Sean McVay, Matt Stafford, Cooper Cup, Puka Nakua, and some of these uh, Rams pass catchers because they'll, they'll have to They'll have to either hope that pass rush gets home in a hurry, or they'll have to they'll have to cover down the field because this is a pretty explosive offense, and the quarterback's playing relatively well, and you got two or three really good you know weapons on that offense that can do some damage. Yeah, it's the Rams' offense is really fun and interesting. I mean, I've I've been a big fan of Sean McVay for a while, and and the the way that they built their team that wound up winning the Super Bowl and and all that kind of stuff, and. Their offense is really cool because in, you know, the we'll call them the golf years, right? Like 2017 when he got there up to, you know, 2019, 2020, something like that, before they traded for Matt Stafford. This team was a, you know, condensed formations, bunches, tons of motion, jet sweeps. They're really the team that, like, brought the jet sweep into the league as, like, a, a mainstay of offensive scheme, though jet motion and all that kind of stuff. 
that was this team, all the crazy motions and the runs and all that kind of stuff. And then it was like Todd Gurley left, and then they traded for Matt Stafford, and they really leaned into this like super spread, wide open, shotgun, five-man protection, empty sets, big, deep dropbacks, and just try to like throw haymakers at you over and over and over again from these pure dropbacks. And now in 2023, it's like Sean McVay kind of said, hey, I was this guy and then I was this guy. Let's put these two things together and live in both of these worlds. And now they're like, you know, most teams when they come out and they have two plays called in the huddle, they call two plays from the same formation, right? So they don't have to shift and all that kind of stuff. And if the quarterback kills the play, they just, you know, run to the left instead of the right or whatever. The Rams will come out in a in one formation, in like a super tight bunch formation, see the look that they get. Matt Stafford will kill it and they'll spread you wide out and spread you open in an empty formation and throw a haymaker down the field at you. And Matt Stafford is playing at like this silly level right now um, of just some ridiculous throws. And it's a very, very dangerous offense that you hope there's no, you know, whatever rust or, you know, sort of lackadaisicalness coming off of the bye week for the Cowboys defense because they might wind up in a hole if there is because this team is is good and they, they've got good pass catchers. Like you said, Puka Nakua, you know, maybe C.J. Stroud is ahead of him for rookie of the year, but that's probably about it at this point. Um, and um, they've been really good this year and they have a really good head coach and play caller. And those are the kinds of teams. The teams with really good play callers are the teams that have given this Cowboys defense trouble, and that's what they're up against this week for sure. Yeah. No, like I said, I'm I'm really – I'm not going to say nervous about this game, but I, I think it's one that will – it'll be a tougher game. I think we thought it would be, you know, a couple months ago. And then I also just think this is another good – I feel like we've said this four or five times this year, but another good um, measuring stick for this team to just see, like I said, like the Rams have played – pretty damn good football this year and you know it's it's it should give you you know you should be able to go out and win this football game if you're the upper echelon as jerry said on the radio today of the nfc but you know it's another good opponent that's done some pretty good things on defense despite you know having a couple of big names but not a whole lot of you know star power there and then the offense it's been been pretty good um I think the Cowboys pass rush should be able to get home plenty against this offensive line of the Ravens, but, or of, of the Rams, excuse me, but it's just one of those things where, if, you know, the pass rush is a little slow getting off the bus and, you know, getting some, some credit out of their eyes off the bye week. You know, this could be one of those games where kind of reminds you of the Arizona game, you know, they're in a 14, nothing hole after six or seven minutes because they're knocking some cobwebs off and then, you know, it's just from there, you never know which way the game could go. So I think this is going to be a little bit more of an interesting game than a lot of people thought it would be a couple weeks ago, you know, a couple months ago. Um, and I think this also gives the Cowboys another chance to kind of measure up against a, a quality team that, that has a shot in making the playoffs in the NFC. And I mean, again, I don't know if anybody really thought that going into the year, but I mean, I think you have the Rams, you know, in that same conversation with the Seahawks and a few other teams towards, you know, that six, seven, eight mark in the the nfc and 
if you can knock off a you know an NFC playoff contender, then that gives you another you know gold star and makes you feel a little bit better about yourself. Because um, like I said, the schedule does get a little tougher here coming up, and you're going to have to win some tough games. And this would be a good start to to kind of get that first one that might not be the toughest, but one that shouldn't be necessarily the easiest either out of the way with a with a good victory. Yeah, absolutely, and and defensively, there's still this guy named Aaron Donald who's pretty darn good. So uh, good. they, yep, they. Uh, it's definitely not a team you take lightly going into the game, uh, because if you do, they're going to jump up and they'll kick your butt for sure. Yep. All right, give. Uh, let's get go ahead and give a prediction on what we think happens this weekend. First one o'clock game of the season, I want to say. So let's go ahead and give our prediction for the first one o'clock game back at AT and T Stadium. What do you got? Um. I'm going to say the Cowboys will win 24 to 20. I'm going to go 26-24 Dallas. Um, I think it's a very tight game. Um, we didn't even mention it, but our, our, our good – our good buddy Brett Maher got released today. He'd been kicking it pretty well for the Rams until he, he did. Um, unfortunately, had to watch it on red zone, but he kind of got the yips last weekend again, missed a couple kicks, mixed, missed an extra point, and I think they uh, they cut cut bait pretty quick. So um, I think the Rams might have some trouble making a field goal or two, maybe miss an extra point, 26-24 Dallas. Another close game, another one where the offense just really – we're continuing to leave these games going, what is this offense? You know, it's, it's even the play, the good players are, are, you know, you're, you're just, you're, you're leaving the games just unsure what the offense identity is and the questions on the play caller and stuff, I still think are going to be there. I think that's going to be something that we got to deal with for most of the year, unfortunately, but um, that's what I got. 26, 24 Dallas, they pull off a win, but it's another one of the ones where you're kind of scratching your head at the end of it and trying to figure out, did we really learn anything this week? And that's been a common common thing for this team over the last seven or eight weeks of the season. Yep, I think you're uh I think you're absolutely right. Well, we will find out and we will come back next week uh on the Talking the Star podcast, talk about the Cowboys. Week eight game against the Los Angeles Rams, and then get into some of these next games coming up. Um, hopefully, maybe some of the things we mentioned as adjustments they did, and maybe we won't have as many questions about this team, and we'll be excited about some of the adjustments they made over the bye week. Um, and things start to turn around and improve on offense, and things continue to roll on on defense, and maybe we feel a lot better about this team in week nine than we do in feel than we do uh, in week eight. Uh, coming off a of bye week, should be relatively healthy, should be re- relatively good to go. So excited to see how they bounce back after, um, you know, dropping a, a rough one in San Francisco a couple weeks ago, kind of one of the head-scratcher games against the Chargers, and then a bye week to figure some things out. So we'll be back next week on the Talk on the Star podcast to talk about it, talk about all things Cowboys going forward. Thank you guys so much for listening. We are Talk on the Star.